everybody. How you guys doing? <laughs> just okay? Thank you. This is church. You just smile and say, good. I'm real good. A couple weeks, we'll have some more seats for you guys. Yeah, that'll be good. Until then, just love your neighbor as yourself, since they're sitting on your lap partially. We have uh, been going through the book of Romans, and we're taking a break as we head towards Easter. Oh, real quick, we, um, I made you guys sign up last week for, to volunteer, remember that? And uh, it was a forced thing, and I still only got a hundred and some of you, but that's okay, because we only need a hundred, I don't know what we needed. They just tell me to force the issue, and that's what I did. But uh, we got like 110 volunteers. We need 30-some more. And so if you at all are available to help with the move, I think we still need people uh, to usher and for setup and teardown. So if you could do that, that would be great. And there's stuff in your bulletin. But thanks for signing up. We appreciate those of you who did. Um, if you need a Bible, too, you can raise your hand. I'm forgetting all kinds of stuff today. It's going to be a rough morning. Um, raise your hand, we'll get you a Bible. But we've been going through this, uh, the book of Romans, we're taking a break to really examine this whole idea of resurrection. And what's interesting to me when it comes to the resurrection is we sort of just all sign off on it. Uh, so many of you have been believers for a while, uh, or have been coming here for some time, and you come to a place where it's just sort of like, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. And we say it like that. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. As if that was not that big of a deal. Like, yeah, Bob crossed the street and Jesus rose from the dead. And and this is a very peculiar doctrine. Uh, It it separates Christianity from most world religions. And and if it's true, it makes Jesus kind of capable of making some exclusive claims about himself. And if we're followers of Christ and we live in light of the resurrection, it really should cause us to walk in a faith that is sort of filled with, with wonder. And we, should, we shouldn't walk around clinching everything and controlling everything and trying to protect everything. We should, we should have peace at some point. When you think about the idea of wonder and resurrection, we see it, it's, it's kind of all over the place, particularly in spring, that even in God's creative story of creation, within the fabric of creation, there's this DNA of re- resurrection that every spring we have this new life that comes about. And we don't really ask questions about it. We're just like, oh yeah, it's time to mow the lawn again. And yet, and yet it's this, this wonder all around us of creation that is resurrection is a piece of that. And so today I want us to kind of examine uh, what we're doing the last few weeks heading up to Easter. As many of you are fasting and kind of just getting away from certain things in Lent, is try to participate in the story of resurrection. And do that by looking at certain pictures of resurrection within Scripture. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And we come to this section in verse 24, where Jesus is risen from the dead. And this section is Jesus' encounter with a guy named Thomas. 
And so we start off, and I'll just start off reading that very first verse. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. I don't know about you, but if I was one of the twelve apostles and I missed out on the resurrection, I would be bummed. Like for three and a half years, you walk around with a guy and you do all the right stuff and then you have to go visit your grandmother or whatever it was he was doing. And he comes back from the dead and shows up to everybody and he misses out. It's just like, hey, you should have been here yesterday. (laughs) What happened? Jesus rose from the dead and we hung out and it was cool. You're like, I missed it. (laughs) I missed the resurrection. And. And we sort of, you could kind of, you know, we chuckle about it, but, but if I think about it, I would think, man, I'd be, I'd be really bummed. And then, and then I, I kind of come to my own story and realize I live, I live as though I missed out on the resurrection all the time. I find myself all the time sort of engaged in reducing my faith to some sort of, um, habitual hocus pocus thing that I do. Like I'm going to jump through these hoops or, I reduce God's aliveness by just reflecting on Him cognitively and not experiencing Him. Um, I, I can walk past the wonder that's all around me and my kids' faces to creation, to your lives, and, and I can just go, oh, yeah, it's just doing life. It's easy for all of us to live as though our God is dead. And that essentially, your relationship with Jesus you're the only living person in the relationship. And he just sort of lays there somewhere. We don't think about that cognitively. We would say theologically is risen from the dead. But in my experience and in your experience, many times we live as though we've missed the resurrection. And John's gospel really is a gospel, and particularly in this passage, that is calling for us to believe that your God and your King Jesus lives in a resurrection life. And that should radically alter the way you respond to Him. The thing that you notice in verses 24 and 25 is that we all come to faith on our own journey and in God's timing. And it's, it wasn't by accident that Thomas wasn't there when he first appeared. But God wanted to meet Thomas in a particular way. And so in verse 25, it says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now, I want to say a couple things in defense of Thomas. Because Thomas sort of gets the bad rap. How does everybody remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas. How would you feel if that's how everyone in church referred to you? You're, oh, Doubting Bob? Is that who you had coffee with? Oh, yeah. I remember. We know Doubting Bob. Because the guy had a question or something, you know? Like, Jesus raises from the dead. He's like, I don't think I'm buying that. And everyone's like, oh. Doubt. And then you go, for years, like, Thousands of years, he's in heaven and believers are coming in and they're like, oh, doubting Thomas. Yeah, we've read about you. That's, that's cool you made it in. Even with all your doubts. And there's just a sense that like he's, 
he's labeled by this horrible stigma that never leaves him. And I think if we if that happened to you and I every time we had a doubt, we'd we'd be like, oh, we'd just call ourselves doubting Imago Day Community Church. And so in defense of Thomas, what I see in Thomas is I see a guy that's a critical thinker. That he's going, I, you know, I'm glad that you all have shared this experience, but I can't really engage it uh, just because you've, you've see, said something. I have to, I have to really, I'm thinking critically about what you're talking about. You're talking about a man who I watched die. I saw the thorns on his brow. I saw them drive nails into his feet and hands. And then I watched his body go limp. They shoved the spear in his side. The water and blood poured out. And they pulled him off the cross, lifeless. And now you're telling me that you hung out with him. And I'm just saying, I'm, Thomas is critically thinking. If resurrection is true, it's going to have to show some evidence to him. He's not willing to embrace it as hearsay. The other thing is that there's an inner strength to Thomas that isn't going to fold to peer pressure even though he's part of this elite group called the Twelve, and they're all saying, hey, we were in on this, he's still saying, that's not enough for me. And I'm not going to just fold because we're all doing and saying this. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that the original witnesses to the resurrection weren't that easily convinced. Because if, if we're passing on the story year after year, for a thousand, another thousand years. I want to know that the original people, the eyewitnesses to the resurrection, were not just trying to be duped by some kind of cool followership. And had they made it up, I'm not sure that they would have been willing to be killed for this lie they made up. So here's Thomas saying, you know what? If resurrection is real, if Jesus truly is risen from the dead, it's going to have to meet a certain criteria for me to buy into it. And his criteria is this. It has to be physical. Like i got to touch Him. And it can't just be an appearance or a ghost-like hologram or some kind of weird thing that you saw. I want to touch Him. I need to see Him physically here. The other piece of the criteria is that he has to bear the markings of death. When you're talking about resurrection, you're saying he has passed through this huge problem called death. And everybody that's ever lived has died. So he had to pass through that. He didn't just bypass it. And what Thomas is saying, I want to see that he didn't just resuscitate. He wasn't sort of dead and came back to life but that he was truly transformed as he went through this process of overcoming death and resurrecting to this glorified state of new life. And the last thing he says is, I've got to see it and I have to touch it. In other words, I have to have my own experience of it. And so Thomas Though we would, we would look at him and say, oh, he doubted, he didn't believe, and he had walked with Jesus. But Thomas is saying, I, this is what I need to believe. This is my criteria. And I think what John is doing in this story is asking us to engage it as well. 
Asking us to answer the question, what is your criteria for believing in the wonder of resurrection? Some of you really will wrestle with it. In a culture that's cynical, in a culture that's full of doubt and skepticism, where we almost lift and raise up the person who always lives in an agnostic state as sort of the real thinker. We have to wrestle and say, honestly, what is my criteria for going all in when it comes to following Jesus Christ? When it comes to truly living like He's alive and He's resurrected. Some of you will believe pretty simply. That's a beautiful thing. And you shouldn't let people that are just always skeptical and cynical bum you out. Because if you have God's giving you childlike faith, be stoked on that and rest in that. Others of us, I think, are pretty apathetic. Like we really don't think hard. We want to feel something. We want to have an emotion. We want to encounter an experience. But we're not really willing to just think. And so we're sort of apathetic about it. And I don't know that you could even articulate what your criteria would be. Or that you'll even do the hard work of trying to figure it out. And unfortunately, when our faith is apathetic and we're apathetic towards Jesus, we never really move anywhere. And we go down this long tradition of people who have played church and played games with God for centuries. And we're in that long historical line of apathetic Christians. And so I challenge you, if that's you, to just say, here's my criteria. This is what I need to believe. And others would scoff as they did with Christ 2,000 years ago. But what, ta- what John, I think, is calling us into the story, he's calling us into the story to say, what's your criteria? Here's what Thomas's was. What do you need to believe in the wonder of the resurrection of Christ? Look at verse 26. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, he wants you to know that, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Which is nice that he said, peace be with you, because they've all soiled themselves (laughs) at that point. Like, it's true. Like, you don't just sit there and go, hey, yeah, that was pretty cool. And then, peace be with you. Like, what the heck? Uh, it's Jesus walked through the wall. And there's a place where, when you think about resurrection, wonder and fear are very intimately linked together. And it's not a fear that's like, oh, Jesus has showed up, He's going to beat me up. But it's a fear that's just like freaked out. You're disoriented. It's, you're unfamiliar. You don't know what's going on. And then you're elated and you're stoked. And there's this place of wonder in the midst of it. And fear keeps showing up. And he's saying, peace be with you. It's what he always says when he walks through walls. As you walk through the resurrection stories, he's always like, peace be with you. And there's something about the fact that Jesus overcoming death should bring peace into our lives. That we should have a sense that I don't understand what tomorrow is going to be. And I can't control my kids or my spouse I can't control my future, my job, but here's what I know. I'm following the one who has overcome death. And in that, 
I have banked all my chips in Him. And He says, He is with me. And there's a peace that can come from that. And as these startled apostles sit there looking at a Jesus who just walked through the wall and is physically present, He's saying, Peace be with you. And now, then they changed themselves and continued the conversation. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And here is the resin Christ gently rebuking Thomas. And yet, as he rebukes Thomas, Thomas stands there and here's this invitation to explore, to experience, to check me out and see that I meet all the criteria you have. There's nothing really left. There's my marks of death. Here's an actual physical body. I didn't just resuscitate. I've transformed. I have something about this new glorified body is made up of atomic matter that can actually walk through walls. And if you're a scientist, you should explore that. It's fascinating. Um, and so there's this place that as he gently rebukes Thomas, he's also standing in front of him meeting every criteria that Thomas demanded. And I don't know that he's catering to Thomas as much as that he is actually risen from the dead. So if Thomas wants proof that he's actual, physically resurrected, Jesus says, that's no problem. Because I have. And the questions that we ask ourselves at this point is that I was, if I was face to face with the risen Christ right now, what doubts would He gently rebuke me of? And what doubts would He gently rebuke you of? I think for me, it's oftentimes living as though He has not resurrected. It's always trying to find some way to figure out life and to strategize my family and to get my spirituality so it's under control. And he's like, it's, you're killing this thing. You're chopping it up and you're sticking it back in the coffin. And I'm inviting you to resurrected spirituality, which is dynamic and organic and on the move and relational. It's in those places where I'm freaking out and I'm not sure that God's really in control that He'd go, stop doubting. Stop doubting. And you know where those places are in your heart that John is inviting you into and going, what would He, what would he say to you when you were standing there face to face? And the other question, apart from what He would rebuke you for gently with your doubts, is what would He have left to prove to you? What criteria of yours would He not have met? And for Thomas, as he stands there, he sees face to face that this is actual resurrected life that nobody has ever encountered. And Thomas is standing face to face with him. But you all have those criteria that you're saying, if I'm going to go all in, if I'm going to walk in the wonder of faith that comes with this resurrected living Jesus, it's got to do this. He's got to be this, this, and this. 
And if you're standing there face to face like Thomas is, what would he have left to prove to you? And for Thomas, Thomas said nothing. There's nothing left to prove. And so we come to verse 28. And verse 28 is John bringing the entire Gospel to a climax in one verse. And he uses Thomas to fulfill the purpose of the entire book. And the purpose is this, that we would believe that Jesus Christ is God and Lord. And so Thomas says to him, My Lord and my God. John uses Thomas to bring his whole Gospel to the point that we've been waiting for from chapter, since chapter 1. Turn with me to John 1. In John chapter 1, the Gospel writer introduces us to this. Here's what I want to talk about in this Gospel. In the first part, he talks about the Word becoming flesh. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then in verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But no one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. And as you walk through John's Gospel, there's this gradual unveiling taking place. And there's people that are getting it. And they're going, oh, this might be the Messiah. Maybe this is the One. He raises Lazarus from the dead and they watch that and they're like, wow, I believe, I believe. Well, you believe what? And we've been waiting for the whole Gospel for someone to bring it all together and kind of capsulize what John was talking about in chapter 1. And he takes this doubting Thomas that gets all the bad press and says he's actually the one who I am going to use to get it. And he says, you are my Lord and my God. And Thomas makes this confession that that wasn't made of Jesus prior to the resurrection. That couldn't be made until He overcame death. That though He died on the cross and, and bore everybody's sins, it wasn't enough to stop there. But the good news had to go that He passed through death into this new Life, this eternal state. Belief in Jesus as God is the point of John's Gospel. That's what he's writing this whole book for. He says, I want people to get it. I want them to see it. I want them to know that we're not just freaks that are making stuff up. That we've touched Him. We've felt Him. We've seen Him. And so he articulates this and he uses Thomas to champion it. And when Thomas makes the declaration of Jesus as Lord and God, it has rich meaning. Meaning that is messianic as well as cultural. So when he uses the term Lord, there's a sense that he's, he's using it as anointed king. That, that John is saying that this is Israel's anointed king. He's the Messiah that they've waited for. And, and he's writing at a time where culturally there's an emperor cult that demands people call Him Lord and God. And so John's Gospel shows up kind of harshly refuting the powers that be within the culture. 
and saying, you're not Lord and God. Jesus is Lord and God. And then he uses this term God, which brings together the Word becoming flesh. That this place of creation and the house of the Father have come together in this human God-man called Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. And He overcomes death and resurrects. And so, this confession is made when Thomas experiences the risen Christ. And his confession is, you are my Lord, King, and you are my God. And note that he's not just talking about it in some theological category. He's saying, you're my Lord. You're my God. What John is wanting for you and I as we enter this story of resurrection is that this would be a personal confession that we come to. The belief in Jesus is risen from the dead isn't just some neat idea or category of theology, but it's your personal confession about a living God. And Jesus in verse 29 then invites us to enter into that same confession. Where He says, Because you have seen Me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you would have a life. Resurrected life. New life. Full life. Abundant life. It's a a word that He carries through. The whole story. That you would have life in His name. Jesus' invitation is to believe by faith. You're not going to get to touch Him in the way that Thomas touched Him. You're not going to get to see Him in the way that Thomas saw Him. But that isn't to say that you won't experience Him. That by His Spirit, He will touch you. By His Spirit, He convicts and He comforts and you sense there's something real to this story. That your faith gets engaged in a Jesus who is alive and present and active and not dead. What's beautiful to me about John's Gospel is that without resurrection, his Gospel never makes the point. So where he starts out in chapter 1 basically saying, I'm here to prove that Jesus is God, he never gets there until right here. Until Thomas shouts this out. He says, this is why I wrote this. So you could hear doubting Thomas make the declaration that my whole Gospel pointed to. And so he invites you and I to walk in this mind-blowing wonder of resurrection. That your God and King is alive even though He was dead. And we look at Thomas's confession, and what, what John wants us to do as we enter this story is to, to look back and go, here's the criteria I had 
does Jesus meet it? Here's what it would take for me to go all in in following Christ. Is He worthy of that? He wants us to ask the, the questions of, of this doubting Thomas. To be able to ask, if I was face to face, what would He gently rebuke me for? But ultimately, what He wants you to do is He wants you to make that same confession that Thomas made. To be able to say by faith, Jesus, You are the risen King and You are my King and You are my God. But we recognize that I can't say my for You. And You can't say it for me. That the personal word you are mine, is something only you can make. And so as we move into this Easter story, we're not looking again to just sort of romantically go through a pretty story. What we're really looking to do is ask the question, do you believe? That's what John's wanting you to wrestle with. And what confession will you make today about the risen Christ? As you come to this table, it's a table that symbolizes the bread is my broken body, the cup is my shed blood. But it's also a table that reminds us that though He died, He rose again. And when you walk out of these walls, will we walk out of these doors, and will we just go back to reducing it, to dismissing wonder, to not living in peace? Or will we surrender to this beautiful confession? that I rest now because You are my God and You are my King. You are the resurrected Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we walk in the wonder that is all around us. And yet, so many times it's easy for us to, to not see it as though we're we have sort of a veil over our eyes. And today, God, we come to this passage and we, we affirm how many times we stand as Thomas stood. And I thank You, God, that You don't come in and beat him up, but You just gently correct him, that invite him to have faith. But the reality is that, Christ, You meet all the criteria that You physically have risen from the dead, that You are alive and present with us right now by Your Spirit. And we can't control that. We can't figure it out. We can't turn that into a math equation so we can explain it. We just have to enter into wonder and mystery. And so God, I pray that You would come by Your Spirit this morning. God, for some of us, we are making this confession for the first time. That Jesus, You're my God and You're my King. For others of us, God, we are coming back. We're repenting of the doubt that we walk in. But whatever it is, God, we're coming this morning collectively and yet we're coming individually. Because this is a personal claim, a personal confession that You're asking us to buy into. And God, I thank You that You you do meet the criteria that You are a risen King, that You are God, fully man and fully God. 
and that you have overcome sin and death. And so we come today and ask that you would send your spirit, fill this place, because we know you're already here, and that you would move in us the honest confession of our hearts. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.